Welcome to the A-Push Files, the audio archive for honors history students at Boston Spa High School. For today's file, I'll be sharing a program posted by the Gilder Lehrman Institute of American History as part of their Advanced Placement History Test Prep series. This program covers an introduction to the AP exam, as well as a question and answer portion for students taking the national exam. For a direct link to the presentation and source citations, please visit the show notes. Um, my name is Cassidy Hooker. I'm uh, helping out uh, Mrs. Zemnick with this class this weekend. I am so excited to finally be kicking things off with you guys. Um, congratulations on signing up for a push test prep. Um, I work with the Gilder Lehrman Institute and we are so excited to have you here. Um, we're going to start off by just going over a couple of brief kind of administrative nuts and bolts for the course just to make sure that we're all on the same page. I suspect a lot of you probably have some of the same questions. So um, we're going to go over this this week and then next week as well. As far as the structure of the course goes, um, every weekend we're going to have about a 45 minute lecture with Ms. Seamnick, and then we're going to have a 15 minute Q&A at the end of the class. Um, we are going to aim to wrap up by 1pm every Saturday. As far as homework goes, there is no homework outside of watching the GLI APUSH videos. We're going to share a link to the GLI APUSH website once we uh, get to that part of the presentation. Um, each period has a video, um, so if you could watch that ahead of uh, each class, that'd be awesome. But besides that, no homework. Um, one important uh, thing to note is that at the end of each of these lessons, there's going to be a brief quiz um, that is basically just designed to, to confirm that you viewed the class. So it won't be content questions, but really just questions that are to make uh, help us make sure that you watch the video. Um, or the lesson itself. So you're going to be brought to it automatically when the webinar ends, um, but we will also share the link to the SurveyMonkey quiz in the chat at the end of class. If for some reason you need to leave early today, um, the link to the quiz is going to be posted on our course webpage, um, and we're going to drop a link to the course webpage in the chat as well. Um, so basically the certificate of completion, you're going to be getting an individual certificate of completion for each class instead of one at the very end of this whole thing. So you can really take a class by class approach to this uh, to this class. Um, the course webpage every Tuesday is going to be updated with uh, a recording of this class, as well as the link to the quiz. And we're also going to put an additional resource guide if there's any additional resources that were shared out during class. Um, so the live sessions are obviously um, awesome. And so we'll be sharing any links that Ms. Seamnick shares. We'll be dropping those in the chat, but we'll also put those on the course page as well. Um, Sarah, if you can just talk over to the tech stuff, we'll just review some of that. Um, so if you'd like to ask a question during today's class, please only use the Q&A feature, which is at the bottom toolbar at the bottom of your screen. We're going to keep the, keep the chat closed. Um, so messages are just coming to us panelists. We have a huge class um, and chat notifications can get pretty distracting um, for everyone. So we're going to open it to all attendees um, at certain points throughout the lecture um, when Sarah will uh, ask you guys questions to respond to. But if you have any content questions or any questions um, on the kind of like course side, feel free to drop them in the Q&A and we'll respond to those. We do recommend you view in full screen so you can view Ms. Seamnick at the same time as reviewing the presentation. As far as the chat goes, um, like I said, messages are going to be coming only to panelists, but if it is open to both panelists and attendees, you can use a little blue drop down menu to select whether your message goes to everyone, but you can also send a chat to just one of us. Um, and next slide, please. And then just some last minute Zoom norms for us to follow as a class. Your microphone and camera are going to stay off for the duration of this class and every class. 
Um, we have a Gilder Lemon staff member who's monitoring the chat. And any links that are shared in Sarah's PowerPoint are going to also be shared in the chat. Um, we do ask that any chat commentary is appropriate and focused on our topics. But please feel free to share your thoughts, your ideas, and your guesses. And just as a reminder, all questions should go in the Q&A and not the chat. So with that, I introduce you, Sarah Zemnick. Take it over. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Mrs. Zemnick, and my students call me Mrs. Z. So that works if, if you need to um, refer to me that way. Um, just a little bit about me, you can see here, I graduated in 1999 from Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, and got my master's in history from Cleveland State University. I am a Cleveland native through and through. Began my teaching career at Oak Hills High School in Cincinnati, Ohio, and then I've spent the last 21 years at Rocky River High School in Cleveland. And this is now my 13th year teaching a push. Um, I was the Ohio History Teacher of the Year in 2017 and was honored to be selected as the 2017 National History Teacher of the Year. In addition to that, I'm a James Madison Fellow and I'm part of the iCivics Educator Team and was really excited to be named a top fellow to go to Germany this past June, but of course COVID has changed all of that. So I'm hoping summer 2021. And I'm very excited to be here. Love my classroom, love my students. Um, like to try to make connections. There's so many connections right now. I bet you're excited to be in US history this year, considering all the history that is unfolding around us. Outside of school, I have my husband, my two kids who are currently at their sports games right now. And um, I love sports myself. So that's a little bit about me. But I'm very excited to be here with you and looking forward to a great session. Um, like I said, I've been teaching a push for 13 years. So I feel like I'm pretty confident in how to succeed on the test. And I'd love to share that with you. So that's what we're going to do. So if you were with me this summer, um, you know, I like to get you involved as much as I can. I know it's kind of hard through a computer screen, but we're going to start with two little questions. And I am going to say, throw these in the chat because I love to see these come in. So here's our first question. What are you most looking forward to when studying U.S. history this year? Let's see what you say. What are you most, is it a topic? Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's just in general, the subject. Let's see what we got. Take a second and see. The Constitution, yes, absurd trivia facts. <gasps> Women who took part in history, woo, I'm there. Reflecting on history, we got some Hamilton, Founding Fathers, there's a Cold War, I see LGBTQ rights, Native Americans. Oh boy, now they're coming in lightning fast. Elections, Civil War, Cold War, World War II. Civil rights, making connections to today. I love it. You guys have some great things. I'm trying to keep an eye on them. Just really looking forward to studying history. Yeah, how history relates to things happening right now. Connections to world history. Went more, another vote for women. Mm hmm great. All right, you guys have some awesome topics. They run the gamut. I see a, the development of agriculture, international relations. So the good news is we're gonna talk about all those things in US history today. Uh, not today, I'm sorry, but we're gonna talk about all of these different things in US history. And what we're gonna do, if you were here with me this summer, um, this summer we did what I call a little preview. So we did sort of a preview of content and then we did skills. 
um, you all are in U.S. history right now. So your teacher, I'm sure, is working with you on the skills. So what we're going to do today is more a review session. Like I want to make this content specific. Um, being that I've taught APUSH for a decent amount of years now, I kind of have a feel of what tends to come up on that test a lot. The topics they ask about lots, they, they come up in the, in the LEQ or the multiple choice. So that's what we're going to hone in on here. Um, the first one, obviously, we're just going to be talking about the test in general. I know a lot of people have questions. For many of you, this is your first AP class. So I'm here to reassure you. I know this is a very uncertain, changing year. It seems like even for me, things change week to week, right? So um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to walk you through it. We're going to get you there. So let's take our second question. What are you a little nervous about when thinking about a push this year? What do you like? Are you nervous about the essays? Are you nervous about the content? Oh boy, they're coming in fast here. Woo! Coming in fast. The exam. The exam. The exam. <laughs> the test. Essays. The multiple choice. Mm -hmm. The time for the test. That is part of it. Time management is going to be key. Yeah. Overwhelmingly, you're saying the test. You're saying the test. So that's, um, and the DBQ. Yeah, the DBQ. Remembering obscure facts. Well, here's the thing. If, a, if the College Board does the test right, obscure facts are not what you need. You need big picture events. You need arguments. You need to be able to construct those arguments with evidence. So on this test that they changed to in about 2014, and this, this is something that I like, and a lot of, I think a lot of historians kind of said, look, less itty bitty details. push used to be a mile wide and an inch deep. You know, and so the format of our course is more deeper understanding. That's what we're trying for. That's what we're really going to go for. So excellent. Okay. All right. That tells me a little bit about, about those of you in the room. So preparing. So this first, this first um, meeting we have today is just about preparing for the test. And what is the test? What does it look like? Now, I am going to operate under the assumption that we are going to take a regular test this year. Last year, all bets were off. Okay, last year, you guys know. I don't have to tell you, you lived it. Um, when things sort of fell apart in March, the College Board pivoted quite a bit and the tests looked very different last year. They have made it pretty clear that that is, regardless of what happens, um, the test is going to be like this. So this is what we're gonna go through with you and just kind of tell you, hopefully you'll feel a little reassured. Um, these are some of the hints and some of the things that I tell my students as well. So this first meeting I have with you is just the structure of the test, what to expect. We'll look at a few sample questions. Um, we'll talk about timing. We'll talk about pacing. And then next week, we'll start our period review. So we'll get really specific into content. We're going to have one meeting for each period. So we'll have period one and then period two, three, four, five, and then we go to six. So that's what this course really is. And if you're like, what about seven, eight, nine? This is a big, don't worry. I'm sure GLI has got some plans for you, but this particular course is just gonna take you up to about 1898. Hopefully that's gonna parallel some of the things you're doing in class. I know for my course that I'm teaching, um, I always try to get to 1898. If I can by the new year, that's a tough one this, this year. So I would say by the end of January um, would be the latest. So yeah, so hopefully this is gonna parallel some of the things that you're doing in your class right now. Okay, now I would not be able to really start off this without giving a huge shout out to the Gilder Lerman APUSH website. If you have not yet been there, you wanna go there and you wanna bookmark it. 
So I know that they are going to, I think, push this out in the chat for you. There it is. Thank you, Cassidy. Um, we've got that right there. So go ahead and you can uh, bookmark that right now. I'm going to share it just so you can see. So you should still be able to see what's happening here. Slowly, slowly. <laughs> oh, it's, it's the fun that happens with online learning, isn't it? Well, if this doesn't work, I'm just going to give it up and go back and we'll talk about it later. I'm going to give it a second. Yeah. Yeah, never mind. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. So, um, get back to where we were. Sorry, friends, that I didn't expect that to not work. Anyway, um, it's great because there's different, there's a period, um, each of the nine periods has its own page. And within that page, there's going to be videos. And I love the timeline. The timeline is great to just get the lay of the land, right? And especially for me, I'm a very visual learner. I need to see it. So that timeline is really going to help, I think, anybody out there who's a visual learner. Um, embedded in the timeline, what I love is Gilder Lerman has little bite-sized nuggets of lectures from historians that tell you about certain things. Um, I mean, it's at your fingertips. It's a phenomenal resource. So you're going to want to bookmark that. We're going to use it in class. And we're going to go through that quite a bit. Okay, so let's get into it. So this exam, since many of you are like, I'm freaking about the exam, Mrs. Zimnick. That's my biggest concern. Four parts to the exam. First part, 55, will be called stimulus-based multiple choice questions. What's a stimulus-based multiple choice question? It's a little different than what I tell my students. Um, my students are 10th graders here in Ohio. Most, most A-pushers are 10th graders, which I know around the country, more schools tend to do this in 11th grade, which I feel is really the sweet spot. That's where I would love to see it. Ohio, just because of our testing situation, um, likes US history in the 10th grade. So for almost all of my students, this is their first AP class. So they are nervous as well. And I try to tell them the stimulus-based multiple choice are a little different than what you did last year in ninth grade world history, right? Or what you might've done in your previous course. Now, those of you out there who have taken AP Euro and AP World, it's a similar structure. It's also similar rubric. It's the exact same rubric for your DBQ and your LEQ. So you all are already, you got, you got a little bit of a head start, all right? I'm speaking to those of you out there, like my students who, this is all new and you don't know what to expect. Stimulus Base is gonna give you a stimulus and we're gonna practice these. Um, it could be a map. It might be a passage from a historian. You know, maybe it's a paragraph explaining a historian's view on something. It could be a chart. It could be an excerpt of a speech, maybe like Washington's farewell address. Could be that. Then you're going to have anywhere between two to four, usually three questions related to that stimulus. One of them is probably going to ask you something specifically related to that image or, or document. And then there's probably also going to be one in there that's going to ask you to connect it to something else happening either during that time period, possibly either to another time period. So there are some higher level thinking skills. This is where we're saying the, the little rote random things that on the old test used to be 80 questions and it was just straight up and it was frantic and it was a lot of randomness. The goal with this is that we want students to think deeper. Okay, and that's what these stimulus-based are trying to do. So you get 55 of those in 55 minutes. Then you get three short answer questions. Okay, I really wish they didn't call these short answer. I feel like some of my students, especially in the beginning of the year, get really excited about the word short. And, and I'm pulling things out of them. These three short answer questions are 20% of your overall score. 
So I always tell my students, you guys gotta give them the respect that they're due, okay? They are not just phrases, they are not bullet points, and we'll talk about all of this. Then you have a little break. You get a 10 minute break. You guys just stretch your legs, you shake the hand out a little, right? Um, you know, quick sip of water, then you sit back down, and then it's essay time. Then it's the long essay question and the document-based question, the DBQ. So I will break all of these down. Now, your teachers have different ways, of course, of doing this. Um, for my students right now, especially since, again, my students are brand new to AP classes, period. I'm introducing tiny bits of the stimulus-based multiple choice. So on every unit test I give my students, I'm giving them seven or eight stimulus-based. And then the rest sort of like your standard, straight up multiple choice. And then we start with short answer. Okay, I don't like to hit my students with DBQ right out of the gate. We do some things with documents for sure. I'm trying to prep them. I'm trying to coach. It's like, I was looking at A-Push as running a marathon, right? You're not going to go out and run 26 miles today, right? Maybe some of you cross-country people are like, hmm? challenge accepted. No, 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 no. You are going to train. You are going to practice. You're going to build up, right? You're going to build those skills so that when it is race day and that gun goes off and it's time to go, you're ready. You've got the basics. You've got the back. That's what your teachers are doing. That's what we're gonna to try to do here on Saturday. We're just gonna give you some of the basics. We're gonna practice and then it's repetition, right? It's training. That's, that's really how you look at this, okay? All right. Ha ha, for my Hamilton people. For my, there it is. See, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It pushes a marathon, not a sprint. So I, I always tell my students that this national exam tends to, of course not, there's always exceptions to the rule, right? But what I notice is the students who put the time in, and I would venture a guess that by you being here on a Saturday morning, you're one of these. The students that put the time in and really do what they're supposed to do, right? You're, you're staying on top of your reading. You're going into your AP classroom and you're practicing those questions that your teacher maybe has unlocked for you. You do that consistently and it's better than trying to do this all the last week. The scores tend to correlate with that. So just think about that. By nature of you being here, you're already building that foundation. You're already in a good position. So hats off to you, my friends. Respect that you are here because that tells me and that should tell you that you're one of those, right? You care and you wanna do well. So let's get into it. Stimulus-based multiple choice. Um, now, AP Classroom, you all should be in there by now. You know why? Because you have to or you have to very soon because that is how we register for the exam. So I'm sure your teacher has probably talked to you about this. If not, they're going to, I bet this week. You have to create an account. It's the same account that you use for your college board for like your PSAT. And when you go in there, there's some really good resources, but your teacher has to unlock them for you. So I didn't link it here just because that's really specific to you and your class. Your teacher will unlock that and they might use it just a little bit. They might use it a lot, right? There's all different ways that teachers are using it. For me, I don't use it that much, but I do use it for stimulus-based multiple choice. It's a great resource for my students to go in and practice. So that is, I would suggest, that's a great place to go, okay? Your teacher's gonna help you kind of navigate that platform. So again, the stimulus could be any of these things. Maybe it's a graph, could be an image, could be a chart, could be a passage from a primary or a secondary source. And there's usually three to four questions related to that stimulus, sometimes two, but it's usually, I feel like three is usually the sweet spot. Um, they might ask you to connect to other time periods as well. So just think about that. So in the beginning of the year, obviously you don't have a huge background to go on, right? Um, I never try, I always make sure the questions I ask my students are not asking them to go beyond the year we've studied. 
course, in May, when you're doing the real deal, everything's game. So they could ask you to connect to any different time period. So just think about that. All right. We're going to do a little practice. This is one that I use in my classroom. And this is actually coming from the College Board. Um, this is a released test. I got to get me out of here. I hope you guys can see this. Hold on. Can I minimize this? There. Let's try that. That way you can see. Okay. So here's an example from period one. Now, you see the stimulus you're getting. You're getting a stimulus that shows the volume and direction of the transatlantic slave trade. And if you look at the years there, 1500 and 1900. And here's our question. Which of the following most directly contributed to the major pattern depicted on the map? So there's your options there. The growth of the fur trade in the North American colonies, the spread of ideas associated with the Enlightenment, the European Enlightenment, the demand for crops produced in the Americas, or Africans' adaptations to the culture of the Western Hemisphere. Which one of those most directly contributes to the pattern on the map? Go ahead and put your guess in there. Let's see how we do. There we go. All right. So, well, usually I can see them when they're coming in. I didn't see them till the end here, but that's all right. Um, you are correct. Those of you that picked the demand for crops produced in the Americas. Excellent. So a lot of you already looking solid on that one. Good, good, good. All right. Let's keep going. So now remember, the stimulus base is going to give you more than one question for a stimulus. So here's question two. Now here's where it's saying connected to another time period. A significant long-term result of the major pattern depicted on the map was, what's a significant long-term result? Is it frequent intermarriage between people of British, African and British descent, an increase in the destructiveness of American Indian warfare, the development of a strict racial system in British colonial societies, or cooperation between European countries over colonization in the Americas? Ooh, I'm in suspense. I can't see what you're doing, but I can see it when it's released. Let's see how we do on this one. Go ahead and give just a couple more seconds there. Take your guess. There it is. Oh, you guys are brilliant. Look at that. The development of a strict racial system in the British colonial societies. Very good. Very good. 83% of you said that one. All right. So you guys are doing awesome on these. Let's take the last one here. The major pattern on the map best supports which of the following statements? Okay, so there's your options. And this one I remember talking to my students. I actually use this question in my class. And I have a little bit of a problem in the way this question is worded, and I'll tell you why. Maybe you'll see what I mean. Give it your best guess here. What do you think? The major pattern best supports which of the following statements? Service. I feel like I'm on Family Feud. Here it is. Ooh, okay, this, this one was a tough one. Correct answer for this is B. 
So this is the first one where most of us did not pick. Most of you picked, more of you that picked C. Enslaved Africans were likely to live on large plantations in North America than in the Caribbean. All right, this one's kind of confusing. And sometimes I tell my students, these are not questions that I'm writing, right? These are the questions coming from the college board. The problem that I have with the wording on this one is the way that it says British colonies in North America typically had a lower demand. Um, that, that is true, right? Look at where we're seeing enslaved people going. I just feel like I don't like the way that it says lower demand when we're still talking about millions of people. Do you know what I'm saying? That's the, I have a bit of an issue with this question, but this is a good way to think about how do we break down the wording? What is it really saying here? Large plantations. So Caribbean, we're talking about here. So if you look at the number, again, you gotta look at the numbers very closely. That rules out C. Okay, that rules out C. This one's tricky. They are tricky. And sometimes it really comes down to the wording in an option. So for my students, I really encourage them, especially, and now this is tough with our remote format, to ask me questions when you don't know what a word means. And for AP students, I find that that is sometimes hard to do because my students don't often like to admit they don't know what words mean, right? But I'm like, guys, there's no shame in that. Not knowing what a word means or not knowing what one particular option is really saying could change the entire question. So when you're doing these stimulus base, don't be afraid to ask for real, okay? Don't be afraid to ask what a word means or, you know, is it saying this? Um, your teacher, I would hope, would encourage those questions, especially as you're getting your feet wet on these questions. That's a tough one. But that shows you kind of what we're doing. The more practice you get with these, the easier they get. The, the more used to the wording you get, the more used to kind of how it's asking you to connect. So again, that's where I would say, your teacher is gonna hopefully get you set up if they haven't already in AP Classroom, and that's gonna have a lot of resources for you there to practice these. Okay, you might, some of you might even be doing those for homework. So don't panic. You have 55, 55 minutes. That sounds like, that's moving. It is moving, it is moving. And I think that for a lot of people, the, and, and even for my strongest students, the, the hardest part of the national test is the time. And, you know, so again, those of you that have extended time accommodations, use them. There's a reason for that. You need that if you have an extended time due to some kind of a disability. Um, that is really important because these time limits for everyone are really, really tough. And just the more you practice and the more you expose yourself to these questions, the easier they will get. Okay. And let's move on to part two, the short answer question. We've got three questions total, 40 minutes here. You've got two required questions. So question one is gonna be a secondary source. All right, so that means it's probably gonna be an excerpt from a historian, something a historian says about a topic. Question two is gonna be a primary source. So a primary source is of course from someone who was there. Maybe you get a newspaper excerpt, you might get part of a speech, you might get a, an image, um, maybe it's a painting, maybe it's a photograph, right? You're gonna get a primary source. And then the final question, should give you a choice, will we'll give you a choice. And according to the College Board website, they say there's no stimulus in that final question. So there's a stimulus for the first two, there's not a stimulus for the second one, or sorry, for the third one. You get to pick, you get a choice. Question three is gonna be from 1491 to 1877. Question four is gonna be something between 1865 and 2001, okay? Questions one and two, we don't know exactly where they're coming from. But um, you know the third question, which you get to pick. You get to go with 
I would say, you know, you're going to know one of those, right? I mean, what are the odds? You're going to be prepared. You're going to be, you're going to be ready for your marathon. You're going to come in there and one of them will speak to you. And that'll be the one you want. Each question, all three of them have an A, a B and a C. And you want to answer all three in a few complete sentences. So short answer, like I said, give it respect. Okay. No bullet points, no phrases here. You want to give it respect. So we want to do that. Let's take a look at, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I hope you can't see my email alerts. <laughs> um, let's take a look at the short answer question from period three. So this is one that we just used in my class. And let me minimize myself and get me out of the way so you can see. Our short answer question from period three. Using the map, answer A, B, and C. So here's your stimulus. Take a good look at it. Now, we're not going to write these out in the chat because that would be super long. And, you know, there's how many of you are in here? Let's see. Oh, boy, 237. Oh, uh, that's a lot. So I just want you to think about this. Just think about it. And we can walk through it together. A says, briefly explain how one specific historical event or development contributed to the changes in land claims depicted on the map. Okay, let's break it down. You see that key? I see British before 1763. I see then gained by Britain, lost by France, gained by Britain, lost by Spain, and gained by Spain, lost by Britain. So the year 1763 is a pretty big one, right? Clearly it's saying, showing you that in the map. One specific historical event or development contributed to the changes. Really, there, there's kind of one major event here that contributes to those changes. And that is, friends, the French and Indian War ends, doesn't it? That's what 1763 is, a big pivotal year in the colonies. Seven Years War, AKA the French and Indian War ends. That is what you would really need to put for A. They wanna see. So you wanna explain that it's the French and Indian War, but you wanna take it one more step from there. And you want to explain, now why does that contribute to the land claims, okay? Here's where you add another sentence or two talking about how France lost. And as a result, they lose most of their overseas to territory in the Semispheroid, except for some Caribbean colonies. They lose all their North American colonies and the British gain. So that's what you would put in your A. We're looking for somewhere around three to four sentences there. Let's look at the B. B, briefly explain one specific effects of the changes in land claim depicted in the map in the period from 1763 to 1775. So one specific effect of the changes in the land claim. Now, there, I could think of some different ways you could take this, okay? Here's what I would probably do. An effect of this land claim is gonna mean there is a lot more British territory, isn't there? Especially on the frontier. And when I say frontier, I mean like where I am, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Indiana. One specific effect is you could use Pontiac's Rebellion. That would be a great specific effect, but there's gonna be an intensification of conflict on the frontier between Native Americans and the British settlers. You could also, another great one to use, would be that proclamation of 1763. That would be another great one to pull in there, okay? Those are just the ones that come off the top of my head as being probably the easiest options there. You always wanna make sure when they give you years, and this is true of both the LEQ, the DBQ, you wanna stick in those years. And my students, we just had a short answer test and some of them, um, that they got nailed on that. They wrote a fabulous example for something outside of the years. And I was like, nah, right? These, these short answer questions, when the graders are grading them in June, they get one point for A, one point for B, and one point for C. You either do it or you don't do it. 
So those years are clutch. Always you look at the years and you've got to think of something that fits in that particular time, okay? Or you're just not going to get that point. You might write a lovely expl explanation for something that's outside of that and you're going to get zero on that. So we don't want that to happen. C, briefly explain another specific effect of the changes in land claims depicted in the map from the period 1763 to 1775. Okay, now here's where you got to take it up a notch, right? They want you to connect. So now what I would say, here's some options that you could do for C. Hmm, an effect of this land claim, will the British have to pay off their debt from the war? They also have to pay them more. It costs more to run the colonies, doesn't it? You could talk about things like the end of salutary neglect. Maybe you talk about an increase in taxation. You get specific. You say the Stamp Act, right? You say the, you say the Townsend Acts. You're pulling in those specifics to back up your argument. Three to four sentences each is really what we're looking for, for you to convince that grader. And I always tell my students, you don't want that grader to have any doubt at what you're saying, right? That grader should be like, wait, is this really what they're saying? No, 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 no. You want it clear, concise, specific. But for these, you don't have to worry about a thesis statement. Okay, you don't have time for that. You don't have time for that. Ideally, you want about 12 minutes start to finish on these and then save maybe two minutes at the end to kind of look it over. That's what I try to train my students for. We're training for these, okay? All right, so what will you prove? I killed too many times. Here we go, the document-based question. The DBQ, dun, 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 the one that everybody's like. I, was, I think though, really the DBQ is the one that you shouldn't be afraid of. Because honestly, those documents are, are clues. You're gonna have clues in front of you, right? You're not gonna be going at this with no clues. So I think it's just scary because it's just a difficult type of question and you know, it's in the time limit. The time limit is honestly what I think, I'm trying to get myself out of here, gosh. Meh, sorry friends. Um, I'll do that for now. One question, there's no choice here. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit, right? Use, use my mom phrase there. You get your question and that's it. Um, now, this is 60 minutes start to finish, but it includes a 15 minute reading time. So that 15 minute reading time is a good time for you to plan, to look for some good quotes, right? To brainstorm outside information because you want to contextualize, you want to think what's going on around this question that's applicable. It's going to cover a topic somewhere between periods three and eight. So your DBQ will not be periods one or two, your DBQ will not be period nine. That we can guarantee. Seven documents. You must use at least six. Now here's what I do. I train my students. I say use all seven. Just do it, right? I call it a little insurance policy. Um, if you can incorporate all seven, do it. But six is what you need. Six is what you need. You want a strong argument, a thesis, which hopefully you're working on in your class right now. Ideally, that should be one sentence somewhere in your first paragraph. For me, what I do is I train my students to contextualize and hit them with a thesis at the end. Some people put the thesis at the top and then contextualize. Um, that's up to what your teacher is going to train you, um, but that's how I usually do it. Contextualization is what is happening around this time period that is going, I would say, set the scene. I know we got some Hamilton fans in the house. Maybe some of you are in the musical or you're in the drama. You, you, you love that kind of stuff. You're in the theater. You know, you're setting the scene. The first thing that it says on your script is always scene, right? It was a dark and stormy night. I'm just making that up. Um, you lean into the question. So if you get a question that starts in 1763, let's say you get a DBQ, starts in 1763, you gotta lead in. You gotta say, well, what's happening before that, right? That's where you talk about salutary neglect. 
You talk about mercantilism. You bring in that French and Indian War and then you talk about how it ends. And then you hit him with that thesis, right there. That's what we do. So the DBQ is not simply a summary. This is not just document A says this, document B says that, right? That is not what this is. This is an argument showing one of these three things, comparison. So you compare and contrasting. Continuity and change over time, okay? This, you, do you see the meme going around right now on social media that says how it started, how it's going? I'm like, oh my gosh, that's continuity and change over time. All the A-Push teachers out there are like, oh, it's a meme for a historical skill. I love it. Or causation. This caused this, right? And changed everything. It's a turning point. So more information and release questions can be found here. Um, now, having a little bit of trouble here. We're going to push that out. Let's see. Let's see, I think they can push that link. There it is. More info and release questions. Now let's see if my internet is more cooperative today. Let's try it. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Oh wait, I paused my share. Here we go, now I'm screen sharing. There it is. Okay, so this takes you to the page on the exam. And you can see here's our exam information, right? There's how you sign into your AP classroom. But if you scroll down, this is where I'm just getting the basics on all the tests. Um, you can see past questions and they have sample responses. These are great. These are great. So I use these in my class to show my students, you know, examples of great ones, but also examples of ones that are like, meh, right? And how can we talk about, how can we make those stronger? So 2018 earlier, you can access those right there. Lots of great resources for you right here. Okay. Um, let me get back into full screen. There we go. Yeah, so that's another good thing. I have a bookmark it, just have it. Just have it by your AP Guild Learning page too. Um, a lot of times practicing old DBQs is a great way to review for tests. We do that in my class. We'll, we'll do old DBQs as day before a test and say, let's, let's um, source the document, let's practice. So what are you gonna prove? You wanna think about what's happening around the years in the question. What's important to people that era? You do need, for both your DBQ and your LEQ, you do need a contextualization and a thesis. And each of those is one full point. You get one full point for that contextualization and one full point for that thesis. That's huge, right? That's big, that's big. So those are a skill that you're gonna to wanna to work on and really refine. Um, DBQs will never have one right answer. Never, 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 ever, ever. It's up to you to create a strong argument based on the documents and your knowledge of the time period. So they wanna see that you take a stance, right? They're not just gonna see that you can summarize. We all, y'all of you being here, you could summarize, we know that. But what are you gonna prove? You wanna think, what am I gonna prove in this document-based question? So the best way to practice this is to just, I always do kind of um, baby steps. And one thing that we're doing right now with my students is, now I use the acronym HAPPY, okay? HAPPY is what I use. Some other teachers are gonna use HIP, H-I-P-P. Um, there's different acronyms. So this is not the only one out there. This is not the only one out there. But it's one way that we practice right now at this point in the year. I'll have my students do this with these documents, and you can too. Just to take a look at a document, I say, all right, happy you. You pick one of these four things, okay? Historical context, audience, purpose, point of view. You pick one of those four things for that particular document. So let's say we get Washington's farewell address. At this point in the year, you're probably pretty familiar with that. Actually, my students are looking at that on Monday. They're looking at it right now for their homework. 
historical context. You say, what's happening around George Washington when he's saying these words? The French Revolution just happened, right? He's got some feelings about foreign entanglements. He's got some feelings about what we should do when dealing with European countries. That's some historical context. You just have to pick one of these. I'm pointing at the screen like you can see me. Um, you just have to pick one of these. Maybe you pick audience. Who's his audience? Washington's farewell address, the American people are his audience, right? Purpose. If it's Washington's farewell address, that purpose is to lay out his vision of what America should do now that he was leaving. And he was warning us too, point of view. He's warning us, isn't he? He's warning us of a couple things. Number one, beware the baneful spirit of party. <laughs> right? We are in quite a polarized period of time right now that we are living through. And I would say, Washington warned us, beware the baneful spirit of party. He also is saying, beware in foreign entangling, entangling alliances, permanent entangling alliances. So you pick one of those. Now, if you're like, okay, that's hap. What's the why, Mrs. Zimnick? And why is it lowercase? What is that all about? Why is it important? So you're not just picking one of these four things. You're saying, why is it important? So anytime we, anytime we do this, anytime we analyze a document, what we wanna do is we want to think, how can I pull one of those four things in and then why does it matter? Why does it matter? For your DBQ, three of your six documents need to have that. Three of your six, okay? So you don't have to happy every document, but I call the why the unicorn point. Uh, you, see, you see what I did there? I love gifts and memes, my friends. You're gonna know that about me. Um, this is what, what a lot of the graders say is that unicorn point, it's the seventh point on the DBQ, right? that just says, you've got a higher level thinking here that you have analyzed. You're not just saying, here's what the document says, right? You're saying, here's what it says, and here's why it matters. That is so important. That is hard, and that's, what, that's why we're not taking this test till May. You're gonna practice this the whole time, okay? So whatever method your teacher uses, go with that. They're your coach, they're your coach. This is just one. This is the one that I use. There are other acronyms out there. But they're all basically telling you the same thing. You need to pick one of these and you need to explain why it's important, all right? That's the unicorn point. That is how you get it. You go in depth. Okay, part four, and I know I'm almost out of time here. I gotta hurry up. The long essay question, okay? Now, this is the last thing you do. You've finished your LEQ, or sorry, you've finished your DBQ, and this is the last thing you do. I'm gonna minimize myself here because I don't know why I'm I feel like I'm taking up too much of the screen. Um, you will have three options and you need to choose one. Now here's the thing. All options will focus on the same skills. So you're either gonna get three options on comparison, three options on continuity and change over time, or three options on causation. But they will have different time periods. So there's a little bit of wiggle room for you in there to pick the period that you feel the strongest on. It's gonna be the same type of question, but three different eras, okay? And there's your options. So you already might see one in there where you're like, ooh, that's my jam. Those are my years. That's my stuff, right? Or one in there where you're like, mm, I don't like that. One of the, I always tell my students, look, you got this choice for a reason. One of those is gonna work for you because you're all gonna work hard and you're gonna be prepared. So you need to be ready for it. This is what I call the favorite a pushy phrase. To what extent? Okay, it is a safe bet that your LEQ is gonna begin with those three words or a variation on those three words. What does that mean, to what extent? That means somehow, some way, you've gotta prove something, right? Now there's no documents for this one. 
which is nice. Although, like I said, the document sometimes can be a clue, right? So this one is heavy on your brain power. You want to start off same as you did with the, with the DBQ with a little bit of contextualization. You're going to lead into that question. You're going to set the scene and you're going to hit them with your thesis. Your one sentence strong argument that shows what you're going to prove. Okay. That's what we're going for here. That's your LEQ. Now, it's the last thing you do. You're going to be tired. Your hand's going to be tired. You're going to be like, whew, right? Feel a little stressed. You want to get ready for that. I always tell people, be prepared. This is the last 10K of the marathon. Okay? This is where you've trained, but you're tired and you just got to focus. And you just got to think, I'm almost there. So you don't want to let up your guard. You still want to take a deep breath and kind of just go, okay, I can do this, right? Here are some of the examples. Evaluate the extent. And these are all released questions from the AP College Board website. Evaluate the extent to which ideas of self-government influenced American colonial reaction to British imperial authority in the period from 1754 to 1776. The same thing. I see years right there. Red blinking lights should go off in your eyeballs right now. There's years. I got to stay in those years, right? Now, contextualize, you got to go a little bit behind that. And that's okay. But when you're writing the bulk of your essay, you need to stay in those years. So self-government, ooh, this one's asking you to talk about how do maybe we go from the Albany plan to the declaration? How do we go from that? You're connecting those dots. You wanna make an argument on how and why that happens, and then you give some specific pieces of evidence, you see? Let's look at another one. Evaluate the extent to which debates over slavery in the period from 1830 to 1860 led the United States into the Civil War. So there, again, there's some years. There's some years, you gotta stay in there. Debates over slavery led the U.S. into the war. So, ooh, we start 1830. Okay, maybe we get into, maybe we talk about Nat Turner a little bit there. Maybe we talk about um, the gag resolutions in Congress. We, then you go into maybe Compromise of 1850, right? Fugitive Slave Act. There's debates over that for sure. Who boy, are there debates over Kansas-Nebraska Act. Now, you may not have studied these yet, and that's okay, but you will by that time. And then... Here's evaluate the extent to which ideas about democracy contributed to the African-American civil rights movement in the period from 1940 to 1970. Do you see how all three of these are talking about reaction to getting more rights, right? They're demanding more rights, um, but they're very different time periods. That's the kind of thing you're going to get. And you're going to pick the one that, like I said, it speaks to you. You're like, oh, I got this. I think I can give some really good ideas. I've got some specific events or people or... Um, laws or Supreme Court cases that I can pull in. And you're going to build that argument. I always tell people shoot for writing these ideally in maybe 30 minutes, 30, 35, because you're going to be tired and you want to make sure you have a little bit of time to look them over at the end. All right. So just think about how are you going to rise up? You see what I did there? Rise up to the challenge. Consistent effort, friends. This is a marathon. So you're going to put in that training. You're already here. You're already doing the right thing. You're going to practice with primary and secondary sources. You want careful reading and participation in class discussions, okay? So participating, talking it out when you're in Zoom or in real live class, that's going to help solidify in your brain these concepts. And write, write, write every chance you can. You want to write as much as you can. All right, let's do a little poll. All right, which part of the exam are you a little nervous about right now? Here's your options. Like, which one are you like, eee, I just, eee, I'm a little nervous. I know you're probably nervous about all of them. That's natural. But like, which one do you think is probably right now the one that you're going to want to spend some extra time on?
All right. Here comes the answers, the LEQ. All right, I wasn't expecting that, but that's good to know. I'll try to incorporate that in some of our review. LEQ was the one that more of you said you were a little nervous on. And I, I think the only nerve wracking thing about that for me is there's no documents, right? So it's, it is brain power. But remember, you do have three choices. So let that reassure you. Let that reassure you. All right, we are into our Q&A time. So um, Cassidy is probably gonna come back. Here she is. Here I know you guys have been asking some questions in the Q&A and I haven't been able to see them, but let's keep it specific to structure the AP US History National Exam because we're gonna do content starting next week. So um, we'll do review of period one. What, what questions do they have? Awesome. Um, Samantha had a great question. What would you say is too long for a short answer response? That's a good question. Um, honestly, you the knowing that the clock is your biggest enemy, okay, um, you shouldn't spend more than 10 minutes. So uh, I feel like that's going to be really different for everyone. You don't need more than five or six sentences, A, B, and C for your short answer. Like, I feel like three to five is probably your sweet spot for A, three to five for B, three to five for C. So think of it more in a time frame than sentence-wise. Um, I would say, now, if you're a super fast writer and you're able to write a lot, they're not going to penalize you for writing a lot, right? Um, but it's not needed. You can succeed. And when you look at, if you go into that college board released questions and see some of the students that got all three points, you'll see they didn't write paragraphs and paragraphs. They're succinct. They're succinct, but they're specific. So try not to throw too much word salad on there. I feel like if you can answer it somewhere between three to six sentences, you're probably good. Um, more than that, if you are a fast writer and have the time, but it is not necessary. Good question. Awesome. Thanks, Sarah. Um, Follow-up question. Um, regarding the essays, do you have a specific structure that you'd recommend, such as three evidence paragraphs, or is there a different number that you would be shooting for? Okay, so it's going to be a little different for the DBQ and the LEQ. Um, in general, how I train my students to do that for the DBQ, I have them do contextualization, contextualization and thesis in one paragraph. So I have them do contextualization first, boom, thesis is the last sentence. Then I always say, you want, now it depends on the question. If it's a compare contrast, if it's a comparison, that usually lends itself to two body paragraphs. Um, sometimes if it's a change over time, you might need three, right? Because you might need to show economic changes, social changes, political changes. So it's really just depending two to three body paragraphs. And then they do expect some kind of a conclusion. Now that is again, because the time is, the clock is your worst enemy. It doesn't have to be the longest, most wonderfully written, um, beautifully flowing, concluding paragraph. But what I always do say is restate your thesis. Because again, when that grader, who is not your teacher, is sitting in the room grading it, you want to leave them with, and this is what I've proved, right? Hit them with your thesis in the beginning, tie up the loose ends. Um, and if you can, a full paragraph, but at least two or three sentences where you're restating your thesis. So for DBQ, what is that? One intro with, with your contextualization thesis, two to three body paragraphs, and then probably some kind of a conclusion. For the LEQ, it's a little shorter, it's less time. You still need that intro paragraph with the contextualization thesis. Probably one to two body paragraphs here. You don't need two to three. You just need two specific pieces of evidence. So it's a little bit less evidence that you need in that LAQ. 
and then a concluding couple of sentences where you're going to wrap it up by tying it back to your thesis. Awesome. That's super helpful. Thanks so much. Yuliana uh, had a great question too. Um, any recommendations for best method for effectively answering the multiple choice questions with enough time during the actual test? Oh boy. Um, one thing that I had another teacher share with me, which I thought this was a great thing to do is um, obviously you can't have any digital watches, no Apple watches or anything are allowed, but finding an old school analog watch, like I'm kind of old school, like something like this, right? And setting it to noon when you start the multiple choice question, even though it's not noon, but setting it to noon and putting it next to you. And that way you can watch and see and kind of like just keep an eye on it and know, like set checkpoints for yourself. Say, okay, at 15 minutes, I should be on question 15. And if you're ahead of that, awesome. And if you're not, you know you gotta pick it up. So really, because it depends on where you take it. Like my students take this test usually in a very large gym. There's one tiny clock. So that's why I say get find between now and May, find a very old school watch with no digital at all and set it to noon. And then same thing for your DBQ set those back to noon because that way you're not trying to do the math of you know maybe the test starts at 759 or 747 and nobody has time for that you're going to be nervous so i don't know i find that that's a good little a little hack on just trying to keep your pace awesome kick it old school i love that thanks sarah um another great question from sophia um for the dbq do you have to write an analysis of each of the six examples or is it a larger contextualization of all six at once that's a good question. And a lot of this depends on the particular DBQ. So what you need to do for the DBQ is you need to incorporate six documents. Um, three of them you have to happy, you have to go more in depth on, but the other three you don't. So the other three you can just use to build your argument and maybe you don't have to get as in depth on the analysis of them. Okay, so maybe you're just pulling in a particular quote, it's a political cartoon, you drop a reference to that cartoon and kind of explain how it fits into your argument. So you don't have to analyze all six, um, which is a relief, right? Because of course, again, time's a ticking. So figure at least three of them that you really want to go a little more in depth on and do a happy and connect it to the why, and that's good. Any more than that is icing on the cake. Gotcha. Um, Joe asked, uh, what are some time management techniques you teach your students? In addition to the watch thing, which was super helpful in the actual essay itself, any other uh, general time management techniques you can advise for this? Um, is this just for the course in general? Is that what they're thinking? Okay, so for most, um, for most of my students, this again, being sophomores, they're just having a hard time getting used to the level of reading. So what I try to tell them is, um, is to every time you, read your book, right? Which is important to build that foundation. Do it in small chunks, half hour chunks. Like, I don't know about you, but if I try to read a textbook for more than a half hour straight without taking a break, no good comes of that. I just, I'm, sometimes I'll be like, what did I just read? I just, I just spent an hour, I don't even know. So having some paper, or if you're digital, if you're a digital person, having that Google Doc open, and at the end of every section, stop, and ask yourself, what are the three most important things that I just read? And either write or type them out and then move on. Because what I find is it might take a slightly longer amount of time, at least in the beginning when you get used to that, but it's gonna make you be more efficient because you're gonna be able to remember what you read. Nothing is worse than spending all that time reading. Some of you out there know, you're shaking your head right now. And you get to the end of the chapter and you're like, I have no idea what you just read, right? I spaced out, I zoned out. So I think checkpoints 
are good little hacks that sound like they take more time, but don't be afraid of them, I promise. They will make you more efficient. So if we're talking reading, I think that's a good thing for time management. Um, for my students, I try to let them know what's happening for the entire unit, because I know like many of you guys out there, I'm sure you're in all the things, you're in band, you're in choir, you play a sport, you volunteer, right? You're working a job. So having those deadlines out there so they can kind of see, and again, a little at a time is good. A little half hour here, half hour there um, is gonna be better than trying to cram. This, this course doesn't suit well to cram because there's just so much stuff. So small daily chunks are gonna be better than spasmatic cramming at the end. Awesome. Um, here's a question that hits close to home. Uh, will the LEQ be more difficult if you have a hard time remembering dates? Um, well, so what the dates are gonna do, the, and this is something that um, we play a lot of what I call date, date golf and date bingo in, in class. Dates are not the end all be all, right? But dates are clues as to what's happening. So what you need to do really is think like 1830 to 1860, what's happening in those eras? So you need to have just a general understanding. So you're gonna be okay if you don't know exactly dates, but I would say cause and effect. So if we looked at the LEQ and it's talking about 1830 to 1860, you by May will know, okay, that's right before the Civil War. Okay, Civil War starts in 1860. So that's where we, we look at the periods in APUSH and how there's nine different periods. And we're gonna talk about this on uh, next week, but there's these bookend dates. So period one is 1491 to 1607. There's always a reason they pick those. What is the reason? Then you wanna fill that in with cause and effect. So if you can understand the bookend dates, you're gonna be in good shape, okay? Um, it's, if you can understand cause and effect, if you know we're, we're writing an essay and it has to do with things leading up to the Civil War, and you know that the Compromise of 1850 was a big part of it, and you know that that led to arguments over expansion of, into the territories, that's gonna be more important than knowing the date of the Compromise of 1850. Well, you'll know the date of the Compromise of 1850, that was easy. But to know that the Kansas-Nebraska Act is, is 1854 is less important. To know that the Kansas-Nebraska Act is a result of what's happening because of the Compromise of 1850 is more important. Does that make sense? So focus on those bookend dates. Those are gonna help and we'll, we'll focus on those too. But itty bitty dates, not as much. History is not just spitting out dates. It's not what this is, right? It's building arguments. So try to think of it more cause and effect and you'll be just fine. Okay, awesome. Thanks so much. Um, I think we have time for one more question. And we actually had a couple people ask about quoting documents during this. So one person asked if you should directly quote documents. Um, and then another person asked uh, about the best way to integrate all the sources without writing a new paragraph for each one um, and whether quotes would be helpful in that capacity. Can you talk okay. about Good questions. Um, so, and this is something that honestly, I'm still a little confused on because for so long we had to incorporate quotes. Um, and now it seems as if they are moving away from incorporating mandatory quotes into the DBQ. Here's my take, okay? My take is the quotes, small paraphrase, if you take a small part of a quote and you put it in there, it's gonna help show the greater that you are analytically thinking, right? It's gonna be something that I think will build that unicorn point, will help you get that point that's hard to get. It will show them that you're able to pull this into your argument because here's an exact part. So I do require my students to use quotes um, in the documents. 
And it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be long. It can just be a phrase, right? It could be according to George Washington's farewell address, maybe eight words. And then you analyze and you say, this proves that he is encouraging people to stay out of entangling alliances. So the, I still need to figure that out because College Board did remove it from the, the rubric, which I was like, well, that's weird. Um, so I'm still, I'm still teaching my students to use the quotes. And then the follow-up, the second question is a good one because I think the tendency is to just have a paragraph for each document and then what you're doing really is you're summarizing the documents, right? Which you want to stay away from. Better thing to do is think of a paragraph as a theme. So if it's, it's compare contrast, you want to have a paragraph maybe on comparing it to something and you pull in two or three documents there that are comparing. And it might be document two, five, six. They don't have to go in order, right? So don't feel like you're locked in to an order. And then your contrast paragraph maybe has one, three, seven, you know? If it's a continuity and change over time, same thing. You're going to pull in each of those body paragraphs. I usually tell my students, try to pull in two documents, maybe three, to those body paragraphs. So think of it thematically instead of each document getting its own paragraph. Because again, you're just not going to have time. You don't have time to write seven paragraphs. You're going to run out of time. So you need to keep it a little bit more succinct. Awesome. Thank you so much. There's lots of other great questions in the chat, but I'm uh, wanting to keep an eye on time. It's already one o'clock. So. Oh. Thank you so much, Sarah. Yes, well, thanks everyone for coming. This has been great. Um, hopefully you feel a little less nervous about it. And like I said, the very fact that you're here and doing this shows that you are doing the right thing and you are starting off your training with a good foundation. And I look forward to taking you through um, periods one through six in the next few weeks. So come, uh, come kind of ready to go. And, and actually to do that, what I had people do this summer in our little preview course, and I thought this would be helpful, is to check out that period one video on the AP Gilder Lerman website. Um, they're only about seven or eight minutes, but it's a good little preview, or for you all, since you're in this course, a good little review. Because I would hope your teacher's out of period one by now. Um, <laughs> if not, you know, maybe you're a block schedule, so there might be that, but you, if you've already studied it. So it'll be a good little refresher and then just come with one question about that time period. And I'll hit some of the main things that tend to pop up a lot of the national tests from period one. So I'll make sure we cover those topics and um, save some time for questions next Saturday. Right. Like, I know that you'll probably like give me some allowances here. Awesome. Thanks, Sarah. Hope everyone right. has a good day. Yes. Well, they'll, they'll get the exit quiz now. Is that how that works? Yep, awesome. automatically pop up and the link was dropped in the chat as well. And since several people asked about it in the chat, um, just as a reminder, the course page is going to have a recording of this lesson, as well as the link to the survey, as well as additional resources that were dropped in the chat during the class. So those will all be up by Tuesday. Thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.